Hi and welcome to Arrow Power. This week we're at the Arrow Technology Summit. This is Arrow's annual partner forum held in Denver. Over the next few weeks we're going to be presenting you all the power debate sessions that occurred at ATS. You're going to hear from our practice leaders talking about security, IoT, data intelligence, cloud and next generation platforms. We hope you enjoy this Arrow Bowers production and please subscribe. I think um, I, you, we kind of skipped over it, so I, I appreciate you bringing it up, but automation is going to become so critical as we move forward with microservices. I mean, things are happening so quickly. This is why, this is why central IT became irrelevant in the first place, is because nothing was automated. Right? You could right-click and spin up a VM in three seconds, but if you got to send a help ticket to the networking team and the security team to get the rest of your environment, I mean, you're eight weeks down the road on a, on a good day. Yeah. So taking out the human error, being able to provide these environments quickly, that's why people went to the cloud in the first place. Having those security policies automatically applied and then automatically spun back down, mm -hmm. you know, especially in a container world, there's just no way that any manual process in the middle of what our customers are asking for in terms of services, it, anytime there's something manual in there, they're going to go to the cloud and you're is, is central IT, you're out of business. I mean, it's just, it's, it's pretty simple. Mm -hmm. Very good, excellent. All right, so we kind of uh, touched on a little, uh, a little bit of the IoT in that last conversation, right? Um, we, we had a, a panel yesterday that kind of focused on some of that. Lots of talk around the edge, right? And how we're moving, or, or we want to get the workload closer to the edge, right? Um, I think there's some debates around speed of light and how quick some of those things can move and yada, 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 and cloud consumption. Um, but, but what do you guys think, right? So IoT from a device thing, cool, right? But what about that workload at edge, right? What are your thoughts on that? We'll start with Matt. Um, I mean, clearly that's, uh, um, you know, very important. Um, uh, I don't think it's really, I mean, I guess HP talks about fog computing and there's some folks talking about edge, but I, I don't, you know, I'm not seeing like a, a leader, like a market leader, I'm not seeing uh, a lot of standards around it. So, um, maybe, you know, but on the other hand, it's it's clearly, uh, uh, there's no question that uh, uh, companies, for example, uh, you know, consider uh, oil services companies or just oil companies themselves, they typically have global operations, huge amounts of equipment to manage. Um, and so they are all, you know, they are very much an early adopter of IoT, uh, putting it into public clouds, um, and then, and then, you know, there you go, uh, leveraging machine learning to figure out patterns for predictive maintenance, maybe improving well performance. Uh, so that's a great example of that. I was at Hitachi for a while. Again, they have a global business, uh, um, and so leveraging IoT for predictive maintenance, very. So I think, you know, to me, it's. Uh, uh, it does have this, this edge connectivity issue, but uh, in general, it just becomes uh, another cloud service that typically ties into, you know, you have an IoT service that, that manages the input of the data, it ties into the various algorithms, uh, might be custom, might be leveraging uh, standard machine learning stuff, uh, and, then, and then some kind of business output. Um, so I think what, one of the things I like to see, though, is what's the end-to-end? -end? How do you get that connected back into a business process? And that can be, the, that can be, part of, that can be a, a difficult part of it. Uh, we own a SaaS software-as-a-service suite of applications, and so we, we, we integrate IoT stuff with those, with those applications so that you can, for example, use I, you know, IoT and supply, with supply chain management software or ERP. 
But I think that's a thing that your customers are going to, to really get the ultimate value add if they can tie that into the business processes, the most powerful thing. Interesting. So we see, we see this market in, in SD-WAN as being, as being huge and have made an acquisition recently. Lots of companies have made acquisitions. Um, the, real, the real criticality of it and why applications are living at the edge, I mean, go back to why are they out there, and it's because of application performance. So, so the idea is, again, like have the application live where it makes the most sense for the business from a performance perspective. Historically, we've had to put huge circuits in, we've had to put big routers in, and the idea that you can do this in software now and, and not just, a, not just have a, a quality of service, but have a pick list of applications that, like voice over IP to remote areas, that's a, that's a critical service for them to have, that it's not just kind of a, a blanket QoS acceleration of the service, but saying like this, this you know, Cisco or Avaya VoIP is my number one application. Taking SaaS applications and rerouting traffic so that you can apply security policies as that goes to the edge, rather than having to go back to the data center, then back out to the edge, like getting rid of a lot of that traffic, lowering your circuit costs by being able to bond these together and aggregate um, the speeds. Like there's, there's so much potential, not only in cost savings for customers, but again, back to the reason that, that these things are living at the edge and ensuring the performance of that application having business policies built around those applications wherever they reside, having security policies built around those applications. I, uh, I mean, four or five years ago, I, I, you know, I mean, I'm no visionary, but I thought it was kind of pixie dust. And now the, the uptick in interest in how do we make sure that these critical applications perform where we need them to perform? And also, if we can save money doing that, that would be awesome. Um, it's, it's incredible, the conversations that we're having around that right now. Interesting. Let me frame it in a, in a different way. So autonomous vehicles. Did you get in one today? Did you ride in one? Sure. Yeah? So mm -hmm. you have no fear? Nope. You think it's good enough? Yep. All right. At least for, I mean, for certain kinds of driving. I, I mean, I, I, live, I grew up on the Great Plains and, you know, you're sitting there like the car goes the same, just the same exact bearing for <laughs> three miles. It's right. like, I mean, you, you have environments where it works well. Now, downtown New York, I don't know. Yeah. Or insane, you know, basically insanely complex traffic. Maybe not, but yeah, yeah, yeah. How about you? Well, I, I I drove down today in my car, which I love. Um, so <laughs> I don't know. I I feel like it's something that's coming. I don't. Yeah. It scares me a little bit, yeah. but it's also exciting. Like, do I? Am I going to have to really own and drive and maintain a car? Or am I going to have these guys picking me up automatically? Yeah. Like, I, I think the future of it is great. I don't know. You know, it seems like whenever they have an accident testing these, it's, an, it's a PR disaster, even right. though there was 5,000 other accidents that happened the hour before it. It's like the one um, that gets bad PR. That, that's another one that's going to be crazy to watch evolve. Yeah, yeah I think so. I couldn't agree more. It, you know, just to me as a technologist, right, think about all the data that has to be collected right, to make some of those decisions, right? And, and if the architecture of that solution is, okay, I see something and I have to send something out to cloud, right, to get verification or direction or whatever, Right? But I have to make that decision instantaneously. Like that's where I kind of get freaked out, right? And so right. I think that's where, where this next generation data center at the edge becomes critical. Right? And, and you look at some of these guys in California that are designing these things, and you look at their pictures that they have Gen 1, right? And it's like this rig with all kinds of you know, yeah. hardware attached to it. And I'm thinking, oh, I don't know. 
right? But, and then I think, okay, well, is it really going to be like a Raspberry Pi and, and maybe, you know, some Oracle application or VMware application on top of this thing? And is that what I'm going to trust moving forward? So, it, I don't know. It kind of freaks me out. No, that's, it's a good uh, point. That's an interesting one. It's interesting because if you look at, like, all the data generated by all these IoT devices plus just regular, you know, uh, it's, I don't know what the numbers are, but it's just an enormous number. And it turns out it's a lot more than just like all the, f if you look at all the flash uh, and hard disk drive data, you know, bits produced per year, I mean, it's not even remotely close to it. And so what that means is a lot of it is going to happen on the edge. It's going to be processed there and probably a lot of it's going to be thrown away after it's not needed anymore. Sure, sure. So yeah, it's, uh, it, that, that's definitely where the processing is going to happen. Uh, all right, cool. I think definitely we have a lot of work to do as an industry, right, to still make that kind of concept a reality. The car analogy is interesting, though, versus kind of a legacy hardware versus doing things in software in the cloud, though. And it's it's like the iPhone, it's like a Tesla. Like, with, I don't own a Tesla. That would be great if I did. But when they when they need an update, they just get a software update. Like, right. you don't have to go buy a, a new car to get the latest and greatest. Just like your iPhone, like it's, the, it's the software that's important, not not the device that it's on. And so that's... Mm. that's yeah, and you're going to see this in, in IT products now as well. So autonomous and, and a remote device. You're now starting to see like, uh, uh, not just us, but Oracle databases, we, we, the big push is what we call autonomous. And so all these standard configuration, patching, um, uh, management, tuning, SQL, all this stuff, index creation, that really is taking full-time DBAs, that's what they've been doing for the last few you know, decades. That's pretty much, we use machine learning to automate that. So we understand the patterns, uh, and the bottom line is you focus on schemas, focus on what you want your tables to look like. And so I think you're gonna see in more, more and more of that kind of autonomy oh. inside products. Uh, and again, this gets back to what you guys are, you, you know, doing in terms of what you sell to your customers. That's going to make things that are, that kind of stuff is primarily going to be in the cloud or in specialized devices. And so um, that's going to create, you know, again, more demand moving that direction. Yeah, so. Interesting. All right. So I got uh, one more question to ask you guys, and then maybe we'll open it up to the audience here for some, uh, some thoughts. So you can't have a conversation day without talking or hearing IoT, right, without hearing about AI, machine learning, neural networks, right? These are all become the new norm. Um, but I think debates around like ethics and responsibility and human engagement, right? Are, they're they're going to have to come up, right? So are we really going to trust for, for these machines to, to go make decisions, right? We heard some conversations earlier this week around the maturity of that. Um, but, but what do you guys think, right? And, and maybe more specifically, are there technologies or advancements inside of these data centers that we're trying to build, regardless of location, right, that can help with some of that, um, if you will, right, factor fiction of action that was taken by a machine versus a human, right? And ultimately, who's liable for that, right? If a machine makes an error, what happens? Right? What do you think, Matt? Um, that's a really good question, a uh, broad question. <laughs> um, well, there's a limited case that I can think of where the answer is pretty clear. So if you look at weapon systems, uh, a lot of them are, you know, we're building, you know, robots that can operate on the battlefield, um, you know, autonomous, you know, com you know, artillery, etc. Um, I think that you don't want autonomous is really un ethically unacceptable for offensive weapons, right? Because, uh, you know, if, if you're going to pull that trigger or make something, you know, go boom, um, there really has to be a human decision behind it. Uh, somebody has to be accountable. Right. Uh, on the other hand, autonomous for defensive purposes, I think is perfectly, you know, so for example, um, building autonomy into your, uh, 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 your system so that they can respond to attacks on the fly. They don't attack back, but they, they protect. 
Um, so, so to me, um, that that's one clear line, which is if you're going to damage something, it really has there has to be a human very clearly in the loop or somebody clearly responsible. Because otherwise, I think your your point is well taken, Adam. The point you're getting at is well, as the as these devices do get independent, can function independently. Um, and there was this great. Anybody remember that Star Trek from the first Star Trek series, the uh, the Doomsday Machine? It kind of looked like a log and it would go around blasting planets. So it was just some some war. You know, the, the story was some war centuries ago, somebody had created this, this weapon that would just basically go around and blow up planets. And then the war, they blew themselves up, and yet that weapon lived on. And um, the, the folks, you know, the Enterprise, of course, had to, Captain Kirk had to save the day and <laughs> jam a transporter down it, and the thing blew up. It was That's one of the best episodes. So, um, yeah, so I think, uh, but to your better, to the broader question, I don't know, it's kind of a tough... I think you're right. I, I really don't know what the answer is because I think as these things get more, more complex, where where does the, uh, but I mean somebody's going to get fired. I mean, uh, and that's why security's going to. That's why security's <laughs> actually been, is now such a key thing. I was talking to a CISO at dinner in Chicago. He's a brilliant guy, and even he is struggling with. Uh, he's a CISO for a giant reinsurance company, and he struggles to get like more than about five or ten minutes with his board. And I was shocked because it's like you know what. I told him that the, the people that try to figure out what CEOs are going to look like in 10, 10 years, the money, a lot of them think what's going to happen is the CEO is going to be a 40-year-old person who's, very who's a very, uh, uh, very good tech, uh, in technology mm. because everybody's going digital, and, and that's, going to be, that's probably going to be a requirement. But. Mm, interesting. That, that did cover a... A wide variety of topics. Yeah, it was definitely. Yeah, not, I'm not sure I'm going to touch that right now. Um, I look, I, I look at IoT. Um, look from from a security standpoint, we talked about fish tanks being an attack vector. Like that's that's frightening. I I feel like um, from a government standpoint, we're still trying to figure out how this is going to benefit citizens. So. There are a lot of squirrels running around with IoT, but what are the ones that are that are going to have an impact to citizens? So certainly, helping to manage traffic is an example of IoT sensors that are out that citizens get big use out of, automating bus schedules, things like that. So I, I I'm interested to watch how this shakes out and and which ones are cool science projects uh, like some of the technology we talked about earlier, and which things have real business impact. And I think the ones that have real business impact then we have to make those those legal decisions based on that but right now it's you know it's such a broad umbrella from missile defense systems to refrigerators that talk back to you to like it's such a broad such a broad topic um is a is a is a partner I, I would say find find these applications that make sense to your customer present them in a way that's secure and flexible and gives them business opportunities to to help their customers and that's going to be the end result of these opportunities. If, it, if it's not generating value for a, for a customer, whether it's a consumer or a business, it's, it's going to be another hot fad. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's definitely one of those topics, right, that, that I think it's a, a stay tuned for sure. Um, you know, I just kind of worry about it a little bit. I, I look at my children, right, and, and I see, you know, we get in the car and we're driving, I don't know, 20 minutes to dinner, right, and, and the youngest boy brings his Nintendo Switch 
in the car. I'm like, seriously, 20 minutes. Like, look out the freaking window. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I do when I was a kid. Oh. I have like these deals. But they're just, they're just so ingrained, right? And I just think they, they become programmed to just accept something, right? So if this machine tells me that I should go do something at 10 o'clock, I'm probably going to go do that. No, that's a really good point. Um, I, I work with uh, a, a group of scouts that they're called Sea Scouts, so they do mostly maritime stuff. And, um, you know, you, is you, your point, there's these apps that show you how to navigate on, 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 you know, so it's a GPS and it shows you the map and all that stuff. And I'm constantly on them to stop looking at that thing and look up, right? Because uh. guess what? Buoys move. Guess what? The GPS might not be calibrated properly. Uh, and by the way, the GPS, oh, unless you have radar, it doesn't tell you you're about to run over a kayaker or somebody else. So, yeah. So I think you're right. There's this balance between it's a great tool, mm -hmm. but it's not it's not the answer. And I think these, the issue with gaming becomes that beca it is a virtual reality. Right. And so they, they have this culture of it's, it's not a tool, it's my, it's my reality. And that's actually very dangerous in things like nav navigating on, on water or navigating in the air. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, yeah. Interesting. So imagine that, right? If you get a kid playing a video game, and then you have some intelligence behind that video game, right? The machine kind of learns some pattern. And I think it does already to an extent, right? Like it could, it could get really, really crazy. And then ultimately the accountability side of it, right? If this machine says, hey, go jump off a bridge at 9 a.m. because you hit level 23, like, yay. But right. And I mean, back to your original example of autonomous cars, right? Who, who's responsible if there's an accident? Sure, absolutely. Should I have yeah. grabbed the wheel because I'm in a certain, or is, is the company? Right. And um, that is a good question. I don't really know the answer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, hey, I'd be all right with it being uh, from Nintendo to Capagon system. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> no, just kidding. Just kidding. Well, yeah, just my kidding. daughter turned 15 today, so you just terrified me. <laughs> <laughs> For the next couple of years. <laughs> right on. All right. We got uh, a couple minutes left. We want to open it up to you guys. Um, see if there's any questions out there from the audience that uh, you'd like to ask. I'm either Matt or Will. Thank you. Um, this is for Mr. Payne. Uh, you said earlier that in the government space, they are looking at blockchain for data security, for various data security. Can you expand a little bit more? Is it about uh, data protection, or is it prevention of leakage, or is it for building trust in some way? I, th I think it's all of that, and records management, making sure that, that records can't get stolen. I mean, anything that could potentially be in a distributed environment that's going to live in a distributed environment, how do we protect that? So I think, I think for the government right now, there's tons of opportunity, and they're looking at the private sector to see how it's adopted um, and how they can take those practices into an agency. Mm -hmm. Right here in the front row. These are the strangest things. <laughs> They're super convenient. Um, my question really comes down to ethics, and I've been kind of grappling with it, and I'm not sure how to phrase the question, but as humans, we've always struggled with ethics. And, and it was an analog world. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you made a mistake, the damage, the collateral damage zone was relatively small. Even if you think about an ethical violation in a war, you talked about millions being affected. But as we're in a digital age, there's the ability for us to impact billions of people through violating, an eth violating our ethics. So how do we as an industry grapple with that and ensure that the end user continues to have trust in us? 
Could you give that, a, that, go ahead. That's a tough one. I mean, it kind of becomes a policy question of how do you, how do you have decision trees in an organization that let events happen? Um, I, I really don't have a good answer for that one. Can you, do you have like a for instance? I mean, um. well, think about how we're going closer and closer to the human with what we're doing, like digital voice assistants, the fridges that talk to you, the Alexa that listens to everything, but right. we say we're not recording it. Right. Um, as those devices turn into billions of devices and we start to get smarter about that data, there's got to be a boundary where we as consumers say, they're not going to go past this boundary. I can feel comfortable with that. And there's always going to be bad actors. And when that boundary gets violated and we start digging deeper into what humans are doing, and instead of analyzing what happens after they click the enter button, we start analyzing things that happen before that. Like the Alexa picks up that you told your wife you got a raise, and all of a sudden your phone's getting blasted with new car ads, right? Mm -hmm. Versus you go into the internet after you know, know you have the raise and you start looking for cars. Right now, all those ads now start coming up. Well, eventually, I think ethically, humans, unless they've been programmed and brainwashed to just accept that you can violate me any way you want, I think there's going to be some kind of an impact that happens, a, a blowback, where the fear component of, of us overreacts and something crazy is going to happen. Like if you think about the real estate bust with the mortgage-backed securities, right? That's probably a version 1.0 of that, where they just took that debt and they collateralized it so many times, nobody knew how much subprime was really in there. And it almost took down the entire banking industry. Well, you could think of once there's billions of people that are connected and we start taking that data, if we make the wrong decisions or we violate their ethics, I, I feel like there's a, a potential for massive blowback. And I, I personally well, am struggling with it. Right, I think, I think, so I think what you're getting at is privacy in particular, right? So yep. privacy is the biggest one. Correct, and, and, and how do we avoid, how do we as an industry come up with some agreement where instead of the government continuing to force regulations down, there's some kind of ethical boundary we all announce that I mean, we're not going this past is, this, this is line. This Facebook problem right now, right? Yeah, yeah that's sure. another good example. I don't have a problem, look, I know Facebook, I don't pay Facebook, so if you don't pay somebody, you know, then you're the customer. I mean, you, you know, essentially you're the, um, you're the product. I'm not the customer, I'm the product, right? So, uh, so I'm willing to give up some of my privacy because I like sharing, I mean, I like being connected to people. I don't actually mind them sending me ads and stuff about that. What I do mind is them sharing that stuff with the government without like a warrant, for example, or sharing it with intelligence agencies. And I think, you know, not to get political, but I mean, uh, I was, I've been absolutely astonished at all of the, uh, abuses by uh, our, our intelligence agencies uh, in terms of privacy violations. And, um, you know, it's not even a political issue. It's a, I think you've raised a very good question because it's very clear the technology is there to grab it all. And uh, when things, people get heated and emotional, they are finding ways to, to make excuses, like you said, to go beyond what's probably ethical and, and try to, to use it against people. So. 
Um, I guess that's part of what I was complaining about compliance, but isn't that, I guess GDPR is kind of <laughs> partly a reaction, so maybe I'm wrong about that. But yeah, the problem's been solved for you yeah. now. <laughs> but I have to say, the one a guy, really brilliant guy to read on this stuff is a guy named Bruce Schneier. He's always like a doomsayer on security. And I used to read him, I started reading about 15, I don't know, 17 years ago, and I met him in person. And I, him a I used to be a school teacher at a university, and I got, he gave a talk. And I thought, God, this guy is so depressing and dark, and it can't possibly be that bad. And it's like, no, it's actually worse than he said it would be. <laughs> and um, he was right in every respect, and he's always been radical, pretty radical about privacy. And I thought he was unreasonable there. And I've actually come around to like, you know what, he's right. This, this is, it's, it's like out of control. It isn't, I don't think we're waiting for it to happen. It's already happened. I mean, um, you know, every time we hear from the oh some agency, well, no, we just we just record the time and who you talk to. We don't record the contents. It's like, okay, <laughs> really? <laughs> Do I believe you? <laughs> I don't know. Anything to add? No. Good. All right. All right. Last call. Oh, I got one more. Yeah. So, um, building on this this ethical topic, um, I work a lot in supply chain transportation, and you guys talked um, earlier about you know, the self-driving car and, you know, obviously there's one incident that gets put on hold. Well, a lot of other things got put on hold as well. Uber was looking at, you know, self-driving trucks and, you know, changing transportation. There's a huge driver shortage. But from an ethical perspective, how do you think the industry is going to approach and deal with those kind of legal challenges that are impending, right? So all of a sudden a machine is making that is gonna affect an, a human life, right? We're gonna either crash this truck or we're gonna run over that car. And what decision am I gonna make and who's responsible for that decision and what technology, you know, how do you think that the industry is gonna engage with the government to forge a path there? Um, do you want to I mean, this is, I don't, I don't know if this is a dark view of it, but honestly, the companies are going to push the boundaries that they can get away with and it's going to be up to the shareholders to decide uh, when is enough enough and customers to walk away from people that have bad practices. I mean, you know, True. Facebook yeah. thing is the same example. Like their, their argument to my understanding is that you've opted in, you cannot back out. They're probably still going to hold your data and, and potentially use it. But I think, I think whether it's the banking industry, whether it's technology industry, companies have always pushed limits. Uh, to return profit to shareholders and it's going to be right. up to us as citizens and shareholders to decide enough is enough because I, I think most of us don't want the government to have to step in every single time that there's an issue. One, because it takes too long and two, because it largely ends up being ineffective. So I, I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I think it's I think I think it's customers and shareholders are going to make that decision right. for companies. I agree and I, I think also voters. I mean, to be honest, yep. um, so if you look at, uh, I follow the Wall Street Journal has a lot of articles on what's going on in China. And China, China is a surveillance state par excellence. I mean, they have cities where they have everybody's face map. They can track you every moment. It, it is big brother. It is not 1984. It is like right now. And it is absolutely everything these people do. You don't, there's no cash in China. Do you know why? Or very little. Because they want to track all of your transactions. It's a great way, trying to get rid of, that's why the government wants, doesn't want big bill, you know, anything bigger than about a hundred dollar bill, because then they can't track it, and they claim it's for, oh well, you know, we, we need to track dirty money and money laundering, but you know, that, that, what we have in our country is a presumption of inno innocence, we have habeas corpus, we have all of this, this stuff that we had from the founding, 
that I think if properly uh, leveraged will protect us. And you know, we don't have a surveillance state yet. We have these. So, and I also think, I mean, things like Twitter uh, and Facebook, et cetera, they, they, are, they are getting into dangerous territory because they're effectively monopolies. I mean, uh, I use Twitter every day. It's very useful. Um, it's almost a monopoly. Uh, it's, and, and I think at some point, they're not gonna be allowed to just make whatever decision they want about who's allowed to speak on Twitter because it's, it's simply, it's like, it's like radio communications almost. I mean, the, there are, FCC has rules about, you know, basically what, uh, how, how, how speech is managed on that and it has to, has to. so anyway, the, I, I'm, I'm, the thing I'm optimistic about is that we have the right legal framework and the like, right cultural and, and I think as a, as a people have the right uh, belief in freedom that we can manage it all. But it's gonna be, it's gonna be challenging. And I think Will, Will really na nailed it with just, you know, as individuals, we, mean we need to make ethical decisions about who we do business with, absolutely. Very good, excellent. Uh, Lloyd, thank you so much for, uh, for the questions, audience. Really appreciate your participation. Um, Will, Matt, thank you so much. Please join me in thanking our panelists. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Aragon. We really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please subscribe and please check out our other fantastic podcasts in the Balance Network. See you again next week.